Downloads of this show are available on Podomatic.com and the Podomatic mobile app. Hi, ladies and gentlemen, I'm Will Hasty, and you're listening to Lost and Rewound on Radio Free Brooklyn. Time to get embarrassed with us. you buddy good to see you brother you feeling better yeah mostly you hydrated yeah good it's so hot <laughs> that on the way i was walking over today and i bought a <laughs> bottle of water and it was a solid block ice uh-huh. and then by the time i got to the studio and a 15 minute walk it was completely melted welcome to lost and rewound everybody my name is alan and i'm jimmy and we've made it another week i, I we have we have survived in yet another week one of these days, they're gonna find this bunker. <laughs> <laughs> no, they that, that bunker's gone. We we they, they knew our location, so we had to leave the bunker and move to an actual like state of the art location. I know, isn't that it's, right? It's a mystery location. It's a- <laughs> <laughs> that you can't look up on Google Maps. We we are here in Bushwick recording for your Thursday afternoon every Thursday from three to four p.m. That's lost and rewound. And if you want to be on the show or submit us any of your ideas and pitches and maybe possibly interventions because we could certainly use those go to lost and rewound at radiofreebrooklyn.org or if you want to donate to our show and keep us afloat for show sure. you literally want to put some dollar air into <laughs> our air. into our you know radio raft just like stick a dollar into a cloud like a vending machine it's yeah it runs on dollars sometimes <laughs> sometimes your engine runs on fuel you know the fuel of most things in new york city yeah is dollars so exactly you can become a subscriber and you can become like a monthly donator mm-hmm. or you can and just donate any amount that you can afford at radiofreebrooklyn.org slash donate mm-hmm. or you can do it directly to our show at radiofreebrooklyn.org slash l a r yeah be a sponsor for our show we could certainly use it it helps us stay on and give you all of the audio artifacts from the yesteryears that we have been so uh celebrated for doing and uh quite honestly i don't really know why i would be celebrated or jimmy would be celebrated we are but mentions we have a mensch sitting on the benches. Menches on benches. <laughs> That's going to be the name of my new musical. <laughs> it's just it's it's the uh, more crude version of Oh Hello. <laughs> benches on benches. I just want to do any any like anything uh, as far as like uh, Fiddler on the Roof. We're doing all Jewish musicals. <laughs> You know, how can we how can we make uh you know a Jewish Aladdin <laughs> you know, instead of Israel? <laughs> instead of it was a instead of a magic carpet, it's gonna be like uh oh gosh. I don't know. So, yeah. what's, a, what's a Jewish car? <laughs> if you are listening to all this going down on your phone, then you know the deal already. Tell your friends if they don't know. It's the RFB app. The Radio Free Brooklyn app can be found at either RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash iPhone or RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash Android. And uh, yeah, that's probably the easiest way to listen to us, especially if you're on the go, yo. Yeah, yo. It's like we're getting pumped directly into your brain holes and they are on the side of your head conveniently. (laughs) 
<laughs> and there's also a, a lot of events that are occurring with Radio Free Brooklyn, so you can certainly be cognizant of those. How do you find that out? You can go and get our handy dandy newsletter. <laughs> yeah, it's called Radio Free Brooklyn, and you can get that at radiofreebrooklyn.org/slash newsletter. With all of that house cleaning out of the way, now we could make way for the party. So let's do it. Make way for the party. Yeah, that's what they used to say when my drunk uncle would arrive. <laughs> mm. I don't have a drunk uncle, but I wish I did because the stories, the stories. <laughs> let's begin. is a Brooklyn-based actor-writer-director who serves as creative director for Jack's Life Productions. Currently, Will is working on a pilot for a sci-fi TV series entitled Polarity. Here to talk about that and much, much more, a great, great man here, courtesy of our friend Catherine Dunn, the one, the only Will. Hasty. Welcome. Welcome, sir. Welcome, Mr. Hasty. Thank you very much. So, unfortunately, Catherine couldn't make it today, but she was, as I teased there, the reason why we connected. But we and and she's I, effectively 45 feet away. Quite literally. We're, we're not going to go there. <laughs> we don't have to touch it, but we could, we could take a sledge, smash through the wall, and say, Catherine! Catherine! How did you get over here? You and I actually met at a recording of Dunson some yes. time ago. Yes. And uh, then I saw you again at the most recent uh, recording we did. Uh, at Catherine's birthday show, yeah. Yeah, this past weekend. Yeah, uh, yeah. Last weekend, I should say. It was a birthday show. She True. turned She turned 21. She mazel did, tov. She did, in fact, turn 21. Mazel tov. Mazel. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> mazel. <laughs> Mr. Mazel. Mr. Mazel. She's finally um, they, able to buy tobacco. I would say, yeah. I would say, I would say, as menches go, Catherine is as close to being a mench on a bench uh-huh. as, uh, as uh. I have found in young people. Because normally, I, I don't know, I think the word mench is just reserved for people over 60. Okay. This is true. You could, you could tell her that when you see her, because I think she may actually, <laughs> now that I mentioned, I think she may actually come later for the show. So she, she will come oh, later. Be awesome. But that's not unlike how I was when I just showed up. Jimmy, I actually showed up like five minutes late for the recording, and I just showed up. And I was like, "Did someone order a birthday clown?" <laughs> <laughs> it was a good that, intro. It was that, a good that, intro. that could be creepy. So, oh know. no, no, oh no, no. We still had we, we still uh, twenty minutes later. We had a, a middle aged dude who claimed to be her uncle, but turns out is just a guy who does jams like improv jams with her, and is not related to her in any way, shape, or form. And then we all hung out after the show. Nice. It would have been even better if you're like, it's just a guy that makes jams with her preserves <laughs> you know she's really into jam making yes. or as we like to say jamming jam making <laughs> or as we say jamming well you are involved in the same stuff that uh, really i mean everybody in this room is creating something but yeah. uh but yeah. you've been working as an actor uh or director or 
writer, mm-hmm. which of those three has more emphasis on it right now? Oh, Jesus. It would honestly be accurate just because I'm, that's what I'm spending the vast majority of my time doing. Mm-hmm. But that essentially ends, I mean, to be honest, this week. It um, ends this week. Yeah, because I go back to being I right, go, uh, jail. right as we speak. You are about to be done as an actor. His not bail, done, his, not done. Well, but like, I'm moving. They're going to revoke his bail. It, it's true. It's you are, true. You are unitalicizing the actor and italicizing another part. It's true. Movie. I am unitalicizing and an underlining actor. Oh boy! And I am in fact being um, deported back to my hometown in Mexico. No, <laughs> I am. Good God! <laughs> All right. I, uh, no, no, no. I. Uh, uh, so we're we're shooting the pilot and these three vignettes that are part of a pitch packet depending on what how the rehearsals go either at the end of august or the end of september and the fight scene rehearsals begin on july 24th and they were originally supposed to start this week they were originally supposed to start today but one of the coolest things that has ever happened to me professionally happened where the five-man fight team came to me and said all right we've been looking over the storyboard we like all of this give us two weeks to play with this and then come and show you something awesome and i said yes are you saying we don't need to pay for rehearsal spaces? You're just going to go do this at your own gym? And they were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, my God, thank you. <laughs> have you put on something like this before of this kind of scale? I have. I don't know if Catherine told you. I've wanted to be a filmmaker since I was about 16. And um, at the time, I was a very accomplished swimmer. I was about eighth in the U.S. at the time. And I hated it. I mean, like, I hated training. And I hated my team because they largely hated me. But I was very good at it. It was the only thing I was known for. And that's what my life was sort of dedicated to. You were a swimmer. A swimmer. You yeah. have a swimmer's body. For those of you at home. I do. The man's got wingspan. And uh, now I also have uh, winged boobs. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> they are. Uh, well, you know. <laughs> but they're breasts. And no one's going to get mad at that. <laughs> you were. <laughs> You were eighth in the nation. Um, you went to school in Brooklyn. I did. I did. I went to a place called St. Anne's mm. um, from first grade through 12th grade. It's a very unique school. You don't get grades. And yet um, and yet, mm. the Wall Street Journal called it the most successful high school in the country. You and I have something in common. I went to Poughkeepsie Day School for my uh, high school and middle, a little bit of middle school previously then. I didn't get grades either. Nice. It was not a. It was a non-grade place, but it was you know, cool. same kind of thing. Private schools and yeah. all that. I mean, I mean, at Hogwarts it's... they had grades, right? Yeah, they did. Have yeah, grades. So, so uh, I did poorly. <laughs> <laughs> just but, uh, but no, no. But I, I look. So, I, I really did. I didn't know they had grades. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, stud reading, re, re, reading. What is that? No. <laughs> There's a lot of testing to get in, um, and it's much much harder to get in when you're in middle school and high school. And I got in in first grade. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> so now, I was a lifer. Oh, well, yeah. I'm familiar with that term. When you knew you're there the entire time yeah. and you're a, you're effectively a part of the school's family. Quite literally. Know? I took the head of the seventh and eighth grade, too, because he was just because you call most of your teachers by their first names. I took him to the to the premiere of Star Wars Episode 2. And to the premiere of Star Trek Nemesis because we're just that you close. Like, you like to torture him? No, because he's awesome. Well, well, all right. Fuck you. I didn't know it was going to suck. But it was. Because I, I hated him. I like, bring him to terrible science fiction movies. <laughs> it seems, seems like we have a lot of things in common. Both they had hope. There was hope for, there was hope for those films. We didn't get grades. We called our teachers by our first names. We yeah. both went to an awful uh, prequels uh, premiere of Star, uh, Star oh, Wars. Oh, hell yeah. Well, no, it was number one for me. I'm an overprivileged little shit. I got to go to all the premieres of the Star Wars movies. Of course. Believe it or not, I walked out of episode one and because the after party was held at Mars 2112 and it was the first time I'd ever been there and I was so excited and I was 13. I cried. This was like right when swimming had become the entirety of my life. 
And the team hated me. They made my life a living fucking hell every day because I was a 13-year-old training with a bunch of older kids. Sure. I was weird. I was dorky. That was who I was. And so basically, I just didn't vibe. And so I cried because I thought that this series Star Wars that I'd loved so much, that I had spent so much of my like creative intellectual self inside of, I thought episode one would be more data. I thought it would provide a whole new level of a world that I'd never seen before that would reinvigorate Star Wars and show me all these new things that, that my imagination could go and run with. And it just sucked. Yeah, that was a dark time for the Force. <laughs> <laughs> Fast forward. Three. That's perfect on some. Yeah. Three years later, you are wanting to get involved more with the arts. And so, so yeah. So what was what was the impetus? Well, my parents were very successful. My mom was the first uh, woman investment banker on Wall Street. Her father, his thesis when he was either 24 or 25 his phd thesis was um on particle physics which became the trigger on the first atomic bomb his father designed the world's fair center in queens and you know it just goes on and on it goes and on, on. And on ah that's these are things that you guys have in common oh, nice. famous, famous relatives yeah i got a famous uncle as well high five <laughs> and i totally rip off the joke from 30 rock where i'm like my great-grandparents did this and my uh, parents worked even harder and did this and became successful and i took improv classes you know <laughs> <laughs> but like it's really good yeah but uh mom's philosophy and i really do and i am like genuinely proud of this um and like proud to be a member of this family because her whole line has always been no matter how shit a life you have to live do something you love because at the end of the day you can never compete with somebody that loves their job and so i was 16 i didn't want to be in business i had no interest in being a banker or being on wall street my dad's a publisher he worships the written word but he's he's more of an administrator than a writer and I said, well, what has had the least ratio of bullshit of things I have done thus far and making movies, like coming up with an idea, shooting it, cutting it and putting it out was the most fun. If I wasn't smart enough to be Tony Stark, if I wasn't smart enough to have my own lab where I could design and build whatever the fuck I wanted, whenever the fuck I wanted, it just seemed that that was really unrealistic. It's also worth mentioning. I'm terrifyingly dyslexic. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't learn to read until I was in third grade. And I thought I was very dumb until early high school. I went academic All-American, which means you have to hold a national ranking and also get over a 3.5. I don't know how they determine that by looking at all my school's reports. <laughs> but somehow the USA Swimming Committee was like, yeah, you get one. There was also a time in my life where I was like, I don't know if I can be a drunken genius superhero with a robot. <laughs> <laughs> as, as totally insane as that sounds, I totally get that. I no, totally I, get that. Yeah, there was a moment where I had to come to the sweet realization that I wasn't going to rule over all the land that I see. Yeah, <laughs> And I was like, Maybe I should do comedy <laughs> because when I was in high school, I was like writing a manifesto. Yeah, <laughs> dude, I like, dude, <laughs> I, dude, you're like, you're like, five, you're like, you're, you're describing like seven of my best friends. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and part of it was this is how I will change the world. Part of it was that I was going to create Aquaman. That was like the linchpin making Aquaman, even though he already existed. No, for real. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, what was your first film then? I mean, or were you uh, so so when I went so when I was um, fourteen, I went to uh, New York Film Academy just because I was discussing with the film teacher you, at St. Anne's. Wait, you enrolled at fourteen at New York Film Academy? You, at the in the in the summer program? Oh, okay. I was yeah, going to say yeah, yeah. that, that was, was a transformative summer. It, well, it, it wasn't. It wasn't. It was. It sort of showed me that, like, oh yeah, I can do this. Oh yeah, this is really fun. And oh yeah, I'm good at this. My life is a study in me thinking I should be a shitload more capable than I actually am. 
the recording that you're going to hear of me, which I recorded in 2005, I think. How old were you in 2005? Sorry. I was a sophomore in college. Okay. So I was 18 or 19. Listening to it again, I'm amazed at how unbelievably naive I sound, how unbelievably insane I sound, and just how like pathetic I sound because it screams how unaware I am of how lucky I am and how big my world actually is. I think you just front sold the clip. <laughs> Shall we take a listen, gentlemen? Sure. I mean, I mean, there is a whole other backstory that happened that took place after this because this clip indicated the That'll beginning. Be the yes, there you go. All right, roll with it, buddy. Roll it. Oh Jesus! First, I would like to point out that I can't work. No, that's not true. I'm just unmotivated. But why? The answer is, I just have to do it. But I don't want to. With, for fuck's sake, with subjects like film, what is the problem? This is something I care about. It's it, it's something I want to spend my life doing. It's like even on the second floor, I said, <laughs> Jesus Christ. You know, if this is what you want to do, then why don't you carry your film book around with you all the time? <laughs> I think my teacher Evan told me that. And, and and Jesus fucking Christ, all it does is fall back on, on this big old fantasy. There's that fantasy. That same fantasy about the people I'm in school with now, all rising to great lists. Oh, the people I think are worth note. And me being at the center of it all, quietly agreed upon that I'm the most successful, the most capable, the most intelligent. But then I think <laughs> that the only ones that could realistically, I mean, achieve that are my friends Teo, Theo, Mikey, Reed, and Jamie. It's supposed to be the five of us, but that's a fantasy. That's a dream. <sighs> Once more, writing has the same problem. Once more, all I can think is that this is only some full-hearted attempt to start these, quote, creative non-fiction writing assignments. God! And then I'm back to the same problem of motivation and wanting to be Mr. Super Capable. And all this comes out like, like team angsty crap. <laughs> uh, I mean crap. Shitty, shitty crap. I really just mean crap. So if I were talking to myself, why can't I write like I used to? Why can't it be like it used to when, when everything I wrote was at least good and it all came out easily? Uh, answer. Because that didn't exist. You may be a good writer. But you were never this everything gold persona you seem to think you were. The pressures on you have to fight. <laughs> Jesus Christ, the pressures you put on yourself, you have to fight through to work for. You have to fight through to work for what you want. Relax. Relax. But not to the point that it stops you from working. Remember that in between, things don't just happen one after the other. It takes patience, time, concentration, an open mind, and above all, work. Remember, genius is 2% inspiration and 99% perspiration. And those numbers totally work. Well done. 2% inspiration, 98% perspiration, because that's a, so that, that adds up to 100. Jesus Christ, Will. Okay. Be a warrior. Be a warrior. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So I'm now regretting that I sent you that clip. <laughs> that is Dude, the point of the show. How? What? That? I mean, like, I just like what? What an overprivileged tool. What an overprivileged, self-absorbed tool. Where were you <laughs> when you recorded this? I, it was. Tw- I can tell you exactly because I actually brought my notebook. Okay. Twelve fifteen a.m. in the second floor writing lounge. Were you the only person there? Yeah. Yes. You were, the- I was alone. were you like sitting there recording yourself with a video too? Or no, no, no. It was just, just it was just audio on like the first iPhone. Would you say that that was cathartic or that it was just you like just like spouting out all your different I, feelings? I think it's more the latter, honestly, because I was doing that because I wasn't doing the work I was supposed to be doing. And so, and so, you know, literally, instead, in, like that was just another extraordinarily deep layer of procrastination. And I was trying to somehow argue that by talking to myself about it, I could motivate myself. I don't really think that recording captures it, but like I was like tortured, you know? And so, or I was like torturing myself to a certain extent there. And that means I'm so deluded. That means I was so in my head about, yeah, this is going to help. 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 When, the only thing that would have made me feel better is just to fucking write something. Dude, I'll be real with you. Yeah. You could have been reading in that clip a live journal entry and it wouldn't have <laughs> sound any different than what you when <laughs> in that time frame, yeah. especially yeah. Uh, in no, like the mid aughts when live journals and Zangas uh, and whatnot were the rage. Yeah. It's all very in one's own head. One of the things people have always told me to do, or especially family members have always told me to do, is to be more. Uh, open with just commentary and to just record myself doing that and put it out there more. And I've never been comfortable doing that just because I've always been very hyper judgmental of how I come off. Sure. Sure. Of course. Yeah. One of the quotes that I got from that was the term shitty crap. And I only bring it up because it's a really interesting adjective and noun uh, Combo. Pair, <laughs> as it could, it's interchangeable effectively it's like a palindrome yep. of shit yep because yep. it could be shitty crap or, or crappy, crappy shit, shit. Yep. Shitty? i feel like there's a difference <laughs> no. is, is there different no elon's elon that that hit the nail right in the fucking head dude because that's seriously because like because like those those are my throwaway I, phrases for I, when i am just shitting on myself i, you know what he, I, mean? I, I don't want to hear jimmy's deconstruction because no i'm gonna go i'm gonna i'm gonna get deep with this and this is like my, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna come to me on the top of a mountainside, you know, <laughs> with my temple, and I give you the wisdom, and you go, what's the difference between crappy shit and shitty crap? This is a question myself. <laughs> crappy shit is like when you buy something at the store and it falls apart in your hands. Like the moment it gets home, you're like, this is some really crappy I, shit. I, I can't buy that. I can't but buy shit, that. but shitty crap is like when you uh you get a ticket like for being when you like parked double parked your car outside and it ran in to go get something in the store and you ran out and you got a ticket. You're like, oh, this is some really crappy shit. I mean, this is some really shitty crap right here. Yeah, it's something. It's something that's, <laughs> that's more that's more you can't avoid and more structural that just has no. So yeah. yeah. So I feel like shit is more like an item, <laughs> like something like small and tangible. When crap is more like a moment. Or a feeling of, or, or in the instant. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have an opinion? Email us at Lost in Remember at Radio <laughs> Give us your idea. <laughs> we should put up a poll on, on Facebook. Just to remind you, you're listening to Lost and Reround, trying to get embarrassed with us. Yes, completely. <laughs> that thought process, the hyper. I mean, I don't know. I don't even know if it's fair to call it hypercritical, but that like very self-deprecating, very hard on myself thought process eventually led me to um, hating myself, which was like a pretty quintessential 
uh, aspect of myself. You must have had a fun undergrad. Uh, oh, lots of drugs. And um, <laughs> what were you? Were you high on anything in that clip? No, I wasn't. Not okay. yet. And um, and I didn't start. I mean, like that. Way, it wasn't that long after that I started. And because keep in mind, I was training so much that like I was basically always high on endorphins. And I went to mm-hmm. Wesleyan. Yeah. After missing Olympic trials, and there was a whole fallout from that. I got mono from a girl named Sophie three months before trials, which was a kick. Um. And anyway, went to Wesleyan knowing that my swimming career was over. I was so happy. I wanted it to be over. And I went to Wesleyan with every intention of just swimming my freshman and sophomore year and walking away. But it began this very, very, very shitty period of my life where I consider where I was just um, me focused. And I essentially went very, very, very insular, um, even though I had friends and all that. And this was sort of the beginning of when I started to just do shitloads of drugs, like shitloads of drugs. That's the beginning. So that's the tease. <laughs> I think that was the very start of the Hobbit as well. Bindo Baggins became very insolent. I, need, hole, I need me some old toes. Copious amounts of drugs. And when Gandalf found him, he said, I think you're focusing too much on yourself. Look outwards, my son, and take the ring. <laughs> <laughs> that's basically your life, right? When we come back, more with Will Hasty, myself, and Jimmy Hoffman on Lost and Rewound. Radio Free Brooklyn. Lost and Rewound on Radio Free Brooklyn. If you want to hear any of our past episodes, you can go to lostandrewound.podomatic.com or even find us over on SoundCloud, iTunes, or Spotify. Yes, indeed. With us again this week is Will Hasty, And as promised, who you know, we weren't sure when she was going to show up, but luckily she is here for our second half of the episode. Catherine Dunn, a.k.a. Face Girl from Our Star Scene and Dunson. Yeah, that's me. We uh, were just about to begin on our second portion of the show. And in order to do that, I need only ask one question to you, Will. Yes. Who is your daddy and what does he work for? Who is your father? And what does he do for a living? And what does, <laughs> what does he do, he do for a living? Thank you, thank you. Yes. Does he does does he kill people? Our daddy's a gynecologist and he looks at pussies all day. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's vaginas. He looks at vaginas all day. Yeah, it's kind of awesome. <laughs> um no no, I uh he, no, no, he's tea, about- he, he reads like tea leaves. <laughs> <laughs> He he reads the yeast infections like tea leaves. Yeah. Um, as he had to go there. Oh, of course. He, yeah, uh, if you knew my father, he'd be proud. Um, <laughs> the uh, the my, no, he wouldn't. He is no, no. He is the master of the disgusting joke. He moved up from Thomasville, Georgia, which was a small town where he had essentially grown up on a farm. He was sort of the intellectual of his brothers, and he wanted to be a writer. And so he started teaching high school biology and wanted to work for the New York Times. And so he went, and they said, "Well, we can't just hire you with zero experience." go work at a local paper for a year and then come back to us and we'll give you a job. 
And uh, so he went out and uh, started working in local newspapers and saw the way Paper Called the Heights Press was run. And said, and I, or at least I'm, I'm probably getting the details of this a little screwy, but basically he saw the Heights Press in another paper called the Brooklyn Eagle, which is a very old, very historical paper that had Walt Whitman was the editor back in the day. I'm a tour guide, so. Yeah. Oh, no shit. Oh, okay. yeah. No, no. So he, so he bought it. So essentially he got it on a student loan. Or no, it wasn't a student loan. It was just a loan. But he was 25 and paid for and essentially bought the paper from the owner on a loan. And it paid for itself in like under a year. And then it just kept growing and growing and growing. The only reason he got interested in getting this paper was because he thought to himself, wait a minute, this guy, he's running it and it's well done. But if I own a paper, I can write whatever I want, whenever the hell I want. And his line to me has always been little that I know and actually have to run the fucking thing. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I mean, he loves it. He is the chief editor, even though he's really the publisher. Mm hmm. He serves more as a publishing role than anything else. But what happened was by getting the paper on a loan, he inherited um, all of these Brooklyn Eagle archives, many of which he's donated to Brooklyn Museum and other places. This isn't limited even to uh, archives of the simple print variety. <laughs> it's even so much as you've got like audio and video, correct? Well, the audio and video stuff is extraordinarily rare, but we do have it. How? And, how? Well, it's, it's incredible. Just, once you have donated to at least and this is I have a very pedestrian understanding of this. But once you donate to a historical institution, and especially because that meaning like the Brooklyn Museum or the Brooklyn Heights Historical Society or some sort of institution that has to do with preserving history, it sort of blends together in the sense of the other things that fall into that genre or category of old recorded information are all accessible within that same archive. So, I mean, I mean, there's a library for, made for this purpose, yeah. and uh, all this stuff can be seen in the Brooklyn Library if someone well, really some, wanted to find some it. Some of it can. It's all over the city. It's all over the city. And I mean, if I'm going to be totally honest, but one of the things that really, really does need to get fixed is that there are literally hundreds of thousands of pages of old Brooklyn Eagles dating way back to like the 1860s that, that are just in storage. They're not in climate-controlled vaults. They're just in storage. And that's the stuff that he's right now working on to essentially get digitized. But that's all going along with the launch of a new website and a, and a new sort of platform for most of his intellectual properties. It must be painstakingly slow. To I like mean, just like retype all the newspapers. No, no, no. I mean, it's, it's you got to take all those pages and very carefully scan all of them. And then you have to have a place to go for them. And then you have to figure out what to do with them after you scan them. But anyway, the clips that I'm specifically pulling up here are are, are, are very old, are very, they very are old. Very They're from old. 1929. That officially marks the oldest clips that we will be playing <laughs> on this show. I now, think. I want it. Now, the only reason I, I brought these up was because I was trying to sort of figure out a theme for what for what I'd be showing you. And the theme is essentially how we've transitioned from being very group focused and sort of socially focused to most of our social representations of ourselves being hyper-individual focused. So meaning, sure. as that first clip you heard, I'm basically like a ranting little bitch, you know, <laughs> talking about, you know, essentially here is an overprivileged kid not realizing how overprivileged he is, is, is essentially the point of that clip. That's so weird because it's what I hear right now. Oh my God, <laughs> I knew that was so Oh, done. That was so good. That was you. Softball. You know how many I sat on. You know, and no, it's true. She sits on them all the time. But Catherine, you also kicked me in the balls this morning emotionally. And I, I am, so, I, I will talk later. But <laughs> We have to get to 1929, it. okay? Yes. So anyway, Anyway, I would love to start with the senator clip, if you can. Do you have them out of order, or um, do they have to be in that order? No, I mean, it's all good. You provided us with some clips from the archives, and we're going to start with this particular one you asked about. 
and it's a former U.S. senator and slave owner named Rebecca Latimer. Correct. Where was she a senator? If I am reading this correctly, her husband died, and she was forced to take his seat as a result. Good God. But I don't know. That could be wrong, because that isn't confirmed um, with the notes I have. Before we play the clip, I do want to take this opportunity to play a little game with Jimmy and Catherine, and then uh, Will will provide the right answer. And I guess I'll try to play along as well. Is it hot or not? No. No. (laughs) Catherine, we're not on your show, Catherine. (laughs) Try and envision, if you will, what these people look like, and then Will will provide the actual description. Hello, folks. Are you feeling good this morning? Hope you do. I'm trying to get on my feet again. Feel pretty good. Thankful it's as well as it is. Oh, boys, I'm pleased to see you. I don't know where you come from, but uh, I give you all the welcome I've got to offer you. And I want to tell you that I'm living on the same ground that I've lived on for 75 long years when I come here as an 18-year-old bride. I went to Washington 50 years and a little more ago. I saw all the people around there and been with the presidents. And uh, I learned a great many things up there that uh, I didn't know before. I'll add a little more to it. I was one of the board of lady managers for the Chicago Exposition. And I served my full time in, in Chicago and learned a good many things over there. I have been to, I was a delegate to the Tennessee Centennial Exposition. I was a delegate to St. Louis, a, a juror at St. Louis. I think for a North Georgia cracker of my size and age, I've had a pretty good education on that line. That do all right? I was a three-year-old girl when the Indians were moved from this country to Indian Territory. I have an indistinct recollection of seeing the red men as they went through the woods, for everything was woods nearly at that time. I have a a distinct impression, if a three-year-old child can have it. Nevertheless, I've been here since that time, and I've seen the march of progress all the way. At at that time, we had only stagecoaches, and we only had horses and buggies. And we had lots of footback travelers. Now I've seen it come along all this way. And the airplane goes over this, over my house, going on its way. And it's got to be such a common thing. The old girl don't go even out to see if she can look at it. So did you hear that airplane flying overhead? I heard a plane. Yeah, no, so that, so that woman literally... Yeah, that's what stands out. Yeah, no, oh, shut up. But yeah, no, no, okay, first off, first off, not bad for a white Georgia cracker. You know, like, that was not, not bad. Like, not so she bad was Georgia. So she was probably Georgia. Yeah, but or at least that's what, that's what, that's my assumption. I didn't have any of that confirmed. But what I found so interesting about that clip and the part of the reason I showed it was because she literally witnessed the push into the West. She witnessed yeah. her area go from being just essentially green forest for as long as you could see with essentially, you know, horse-drawn carriages to planes fairly regularly flying over her house. Yeah. It's one of the things that I think you only really get at the turn of the 20th century where you get to see such a fast and fundamental change I mean, it's, in how technology affected the world. It's not many people who can remember the red man. <laughs> <laughs> the views and opinions expressed by... <laughs> <laughs> I do not re- reply. As Greg would say, As Greg would say on Dunn's son, 
We just say shit. I mean, yeah. I like how she's talking about it like endearingly. Oh, the red, the red. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, jeez. Oh. No, but what's so interesting is that she's trying to say, I was only three years old, so don't really take my opinion on this, but here's all the incredibly racist and superficial yeah. language I've got to talk about it with. So, like, for the time, that's incredibly she, progressive. Yeah, she was, yeah, exactly. I mean, my great grandmother died in uh, 1994, and she was born in 18. 18- 80 mm-hmm. and she was 114 wow Whoa. oh my god yeah. dude so uh i was thinking about the fact that her town what when she was born smoke? <laughs> 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 on the nose just, just that that right there boom you know when she was born that her town didn't have roads or running water or electricity and when she died they had like dvd players and the internet and stuff yeah. like that in 94 you know? really they did? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I think the DVDs were just just, just coming happened. out. They were yeah. just about $500 back then. Failed. Exactly. Remember, remember, I believe CDs were invented sometime in the early 80s. They were. Hmm. Okay. I'm envisioning visually. Yeah. What do you think this woman looks like? I forget the actor's name, but okay. uh, she plays Hetty on NCIS Los Angeles. Can't, I couldn't identify her. I'm and sorry. She has an animated version, uh, which is in The Incredibles. Um, oh, who, who, who? Whatever the no, I'm saying like they, they, the animated version of that character just happens to incidentally also be a tiny pipsqueak like with glasses and short like kind of hair. Yeah, you know? the designer, the woman who designs all the costumes. Yes. Oh, okay. Um, that's your guess. That's your guess. All right. Mine. What else we got? Catherine. I've got like she's got like these cheeks that kind of are like rounded with like a very pointy kind of chin uh-huh. and like short curly hair yeah. or. Like a weird haircut that's like a young person's haircut that she shouldn't still have. Where do you think she was sitting when she recorded this? A log cabin in front of a log cabin or something? Uh, right under a KKK hood. <laughs> <laughs> Just had the hood suspended yeah. above her head. Yeah, Like over a Confederate flag on a bear skin Oh rug. my God. And <laughs> Okay, so I think, I, I think that she was awkwardly skinny in that old way. Okay. When she's old and like just looks all like a pile of bones. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so wrong. And, uh, I'm going to jump her and then, <laughs> and then she's got like kind of yeah, a, done, ladies and gentlemen. A, a, a sort of sort of an ill-fitting dress, uh, even <laughs> though you'd think that being a, a woman of stature that she should have a dress that fits. And uh, uh, she's a, a little jowly. Yeah, jowly. Wow. Oh, dude, so close. Wow, Jimmy almost got it perfectly. She is sitting on the front steps of the log cabin with which she grew up in. Yes. She is wearing a very uh, ill-fitting dress. Hood. And she does hood. just look. Lo- no hood. No <laughs> hood. She does just look like a pile of bones. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there is no jowls. She's what I would think of as sort of like your, your, your happy and jumpy old grandma. And show us the picture, Will. I can't. I try. I literally tried to pull up on my, pull it up on my well, phone, and well, I don't think it'll be in the show service. Notes. It'll be. I'll put it in the oh, perfect. How dare you? But basically, but Whatever basically, show notes there'll be. It's a hilarious. I mean, Eclipse. we can just screenshot it and put it there. Sure, if you sure, want. sure, sure, sure. But she looks tiny. She's got bleach white hair that's sort of pulled back into a bun. Damn it! And it's floating all over the place. And she's just sitting on these log cabin steps, looking like she's genuinely having the time. Like when I saw that first image, I was like. That woman either looks like she's wasted or about to get wasted. And I was like, I want to hang out with her. Like, she's actually, she really just looks like she's chilling on her front steps. And then she, like, animates. And you heard the voice. And you heard, because, like, when I first started hearing that audio, I was like, okay, this has to be a joke. There's, like, this has to have been dubbed. This isn't her real voice. People in the old days used to talk so weird. Dude, if you think that's crazy, 
two Union war vets. Yeah, I guess in the 20s, oh, yeah. you could have guys that fought in the Civil War. Right? It's true. Show. Right? Onward. This is the first octogenarian club organized in Florida. We have with us today 70 members that are from 80 to 95 years of age. I am 84 myself. In 1861, I enlisted in the War of the Rebellion at Warsaw in Benton County, Missouri, under Colonel O'Kane, then a captain. We went to Cold Camp, fought the Dutch, and cleaned them out completely. Lost only seven of our men with more than 250 of the Dutch killed. No prisoners were taken on either side. From there, we went to Springfield, Missouri, where we had the Battle of Wilson Creek, where General Lyon was killed on the 10th of August. The bravest man I ever saw was General Lyon. After he was completely surrounded and pulled off of his horse, he picked up rocks and fought with thousands of men around him. He struck Will Morgan in the face with a rock, and John Morgan shot him with an old-fashioned horse pistol, killing him. How old are you? I'm 94. 94. Pretty good age for a young man. Yes, kid. Now you ask me how old I am. How old are you? 84. 84. You was in the same... In the same war. Under the same general. Under the same general. General Price. That's good. Fine old man, too. Good man. Good man he was. Yes, he was. And we there to stay. We didn't enlist for a month or a year, but we enlisted for the war. As long as we lived or as long as the war lasted. That's right. Having a good time here today? Fine. We're having a good time. Enjoying ourselves. Enjoying ourselves very much. And had a good dinner, too. Okay. What we just heard was documented audio of soldiers talking about their experience with the Civil War in yeah. Florida, at so least they in were, Missouri. And they, Missouri. And they, and they spe- remember, they specifically labeled the war nope. as the War of, of the, the Rebellion. The War of the Rebellion. Which is what the Union Army called yes. it. Because the because if you, they were, the, the South was rebelling. Yeah, the South was, it. they were fucking us. And the South so, would have called it the Revolution. Right, right. Yes. They would have called it the Not War of Rebellion. No, no, they would have called it the War of Northern Aggression. Well, and then, so then it. we just yeah. agreed on the Civil War as the appropriate name for it? Correct. That's a historical. That's a, <laughs> so, but, we but, can't agree on slavery. Can we at least agree on what we're calling this? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, basically, wait, yeah. More importantly, when did it become known as the Civil War? Was uh, it that's known? So Later on. History books. That's yeah. so debatable. I mean, the problem is, like, the vast majority of statues that are now built to Confederate generals and even to many Union generals, they were built in the 1930s. They were built... Almost, you know, they were built nearly 80 to 90 years after the war. That'll actually give you a sense because those guys actually fought. Exactly. And so the concept of respecting these generals, fighting for these generals, and I I have to just put this out as a disclaimer because I don't know very much about this, right? This is my this is my rudimentary research um, for these clips. (laughs) But um, but basically, to my very limited understanding, the debate of what to call it, who was fighting for who and what side actually had the moral high ground or moral rightness on their side was, of course, up for debate, and it's why it was able to still be such a hot-button issue all the way up until the 1930s for us to be building statues to generals in it when that was never an American thing. Yeah. In the same way that when I learned that Martin Luther King was hated during the civil rights oh, movement. hated. When I was growing up as a kid, till basically before the age of like eight or nine, I thought that the vast majority of people were just like, oh, no, he's right. 
oh no, he's a good guy. You know, I was under nine years old, but I still remember that being very shocking to me that like, oh my God, everybody didn't agree that he was right. (laughs) I always thought that it would be like 65%, you know, 75%, 85% of the people agreed. Even if you were deeply, deeply racist, you would still be able to agree with the concept that all men are created equal. We can't just shit on these people because of how they've been historically treated. <laughs> you know, it's funny. That posits the idea that racism existed as a construct. And then everyone was like, well, we're not really racist. But I was thinking about it. But I, I, said it. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to say I'm not racist. But the guy said he wasn't racist. So, all right. I'm not racist. <laughs> you were thinking it. But the whole point is that this clip I liken to that in the sense of like, oh, my God, I had no idea how little I knew about what people actually thought at the time of this big historical event. I think a lot of people would really benefit to hear something like that as a, just a, a little bit of a clue into how we really haven't changed in haven't. our inability to recognize um, yeah. what other people are actually saying yeah. out there about things at that time still evidently so fresh and clearly very fresh more importantly how much facial hair was on no 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 because that's my my envision it's like everybody just even the oh my god yeah i totally forgot let's do it let's do it let's do it what did you think they look like just so much facial hair just like the most like epic of beards i can't think of anything else other than that kath like the sunken mouth thing yeah and bald head (laughs) oh god okay buddy uh, very, very cheekbony, and uh, we picture and, the same shit. And and and, and he just and describes it better. Legendary mustache. Yeah. <laughs> so Jimmy, Jimmy again with the like almost like ninety five percent of the way there, then he just say something wrong. They were. It's like if you had a picture of my granddad, or if you have a picture of like a World War Two fighter pilot, it's a mustache. A little bit of a beard, a mustache that doesn't get crazy. They don't like twist out the ends or anything. It just covers their top lip. Okay. And then a little bit of a mustache under that and a very sort of like what I would consider like German youth haircut, if that makes any sense. Oh, my it, God. It, it, and it was a crew cut back then, basic, sir. Yeah. Yeah. A crew cut, basically. <laughs> and and like with a little bit of flow up front. Yeah. And that's it. They're very wonderful mustaches. They look they're like they're true. They look very, they're, not, they're, not, they're not stylized, but they're de- but they are I there. I envisioned more like James Garfield-esque yeah. right, beards. Right, right. They, were, was, they were more for, they actually were more in style for the 20s. They were like that's kind true. of toning it down a bit. Like I was amazed at how normal, or at least what I would consider normal they looked like it looked like a suit that I would wear to like a Sunday dinner with my grandparents you know what I mean if that was something that they gave a shit about and if they were still alive what's our next clip that we're going to be listening well, to well Daniel Froman okay. 443 to 625 this is a less engaging clip shall we say but this is a showman that's all show- you need to know. That's great. I've con- abandoned good- my boy. It's a good contrast. <laughs> yeah. All I can heard- think of is uh, Abe Froman, the Sausage King of Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> You're the Sausage King of Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> We've heard a female senator from the South. We've heard Civil War vets. And now we're about to hear a guy who is a Broadway success- theater manager. A successful Broadway theater manager in the late 1920s. Late 1929. That's right. A real lady killer. Light- all right. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Broadway is the most remarkable and picturesque street in the world. I have known Broadway for over 50 years. I was a youngster employed in the office of a new illustrated evening paper. It was a sensation. Pictures of events of the day were printed at least two days after they happened. Nowadays, 
the illustrated papers print news sometimes a day before they occur. In those days, the theaters were located down Broadway in the neighborhood of Broome Street and Canal Street and Houston Street. Later on, the famous Wellick Theater was established at 13th Street and Broadway. Now, one of the greatest developments in the history of Broadway is this famous newsreel theater. Here, the audible events of the day and all the remarkable occurrences of the world are pictured for the education and the amusement of the entire community. It is a most remarkable, comprehensive, and intelligent achievement, the, the final outcome in the history of moving pictures. And so, in connection with this, I hope, ladies and gentlemen, you have seen me and you have also heard me. Do you see how insane, like, to me that reads I can't so see understated. Shit. I can hear it, though. How, no, but how that seems so understated, that's the opposite of what I would consider a showman to present himself as, you know? I mean, I feel like he didn't trust the technology. I hope you can hear me and yeah. see me. Is this on? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> what is this So I'll be in a box. This is clearly a guy who is not comfortable with the fact that we are getting to a place with technology where we can record, whereas, uh, you know, back in the day before recording, you could simply have live theater and there yes. would be no, uh, you know, people would write about it, but now they could see it and now they could find out and it's just, it's all in the matrix or whatever they called it that I meant that he was blown away by the fact that in the old days the only way you'd hear about theater is after someone wrote a review of it <laughs> yeah. right. and then they started putting advertisements for theater in the future <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> this guy this guy clearly was not a fan or was a little or found a radio theater probably to be really silly i mean nobody was you know it was always it was always the way we do it is the way we do it what are you doing why are you bringing something new into this? That will never work. This radio teleplays are so silly. Why would you listen to something on the radio when you could see them acting it out? On exactly. Stage? No. Yeah. They'll never make a. Mark wait. So what did you guys history. wait? So what did you guys think he looked like? Bespectacled. Scars. Maybe bald. Okay. Bespectacled. Bald. Very. You know. Square face. I'm thinking he's maybe a little taller, but I thought maybe he'd be on the short side. So I'm, interesting. I'm, okay. I'm, I'm. I'm willing to concede that maybe he's a. A shorter, uh, stockier, but maybe a, a bespectacled gentleman. Okay. Yeah. Scarves. That's all you got? Yeah. Scarves? Scarves. Okay. Jimmy? Right, I think he's got a, this, this, the classic slick back. Oh, okay. Yeah. And he's got the little mustache that you paint on with like two fingers. <laughs> Jimmy, this one, I'm sorry. Here is what he actually looks like. So he was bald, but no glasses. Right. Bald, you, you got it. You got it Wait, almost exactly there's right. There's no glasses. Yeah. I see glasses. No, there's no glasses. His no, face not. has glasses. He has a mustache, though. He is. But I mean, but I mean, he's like he's the sort of quintessential like I am a man of importance. He looks like uh, a hack. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what did you ever produce, Daniel Froman? Froman. Sausage. Bald ass Froman. He was an insanely successful producer. What apparently. did he? No, but what did he produce? Do we know? <laughs> I, know I am it curious. Like it was rhetorical. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> and the last one is John M. Riley, train conductor. And remember, being a train conductor in this era was like being an astronaut. Or at least or say. at least it was a lot it, it wasn't as cool as being an astronaut. Yeah. So John M. Riley, the train conductor. Not John M. Riley, 
the uh, camp uh, director that was uh, my boss for one summer. And not John C. Riley. Not John C. Riley. Super handsome actor. And like From this brothers, is just this the brothers. image of this guy will blow and your Dewey mind. Cuffs. Okay. Yeah. My name is John M. Riley. I fought in Valley Falls, Rhode Island, November the sixteenth, eighteen hundred and fifty-nine. I ended railroad life as a newsboy. In 1874, on the New Haven Railroad. In 1878, I became a yard switchman. The days of the pin and link coupling and the hand brake. I became a fireman in 1881. I've been an engineer for 42 years. And as this is my last run, I must all bid you goodbye. Goodbye, John. Goodbye, John. Goodbye, John. I had to do a little air guitar there. So this is where Slash Metal actually originated. Yeah. Industrial. I don't know industrial. The origin of industrial. And so, if we continue to talk like that for the remainder of human history. The world would be very different. We'd be addressing each other like John F. Kennedy. I would like to know just exactly where that was taking place. If we could find out, it would be very helpful for the context of learning where on earth that man was shouting to. White Plains, New York. White Plains, New York. Oh, man, that dude was from Westchester. Is Okay, I'm envisioning really, really tall and lanky. Okay, Catherine? Um, at first I was picturing like a president, but now, I don't know, I'm picturing like a brunettish go like, with your gut always with with, with right, voices fine. nobody says then go with your gut. he basically looks like the last guy but with circle glasses <laughs> okay i would say that he looks like he needs a shave and he's not as tall wow uh jimmy and Catherine both sort of hit it because here he is this is okay he is you and ladies and gentlemen i imagine you will see this in the show notes yes but, yes, uh, yes yes this he's just exact Catherine sort of hit it it was a dude just with same thing but slightly chubbier with just round glasses and the only difference is yeah he looks like he needs a shave dr strange love <laughs> but little <laughs> little dr. i mean strange i mean love. like how <laughs> ridiculous is that fucking he's really image? cool looking honestly. yeah just how, so the, so he also for, invented steampunk yes yeah, exactly i was gonna say for, and he for, also for, is the uh the style icon of uh that of, train of john, conductor, of john. <laughs> conductor that you just saw has like a little bit of a grizzled uh, white beard, but more importantly, you cannot see his eyes yeah. at all. Totally eye blocked out shades. Clearly, yeah. like he's on the job. He's like, I'm gonna uh, just to show you how much I care about conducting a train. I am going up there right now. I, uh, you will not see my eyes, <laughs> but I'm crying because this is my last one. 
we are about to head towards I thought it was really New sweet. York City. I thought it was very sweet how they how how For there sure. is how there is that whole sort of like everyone goes goodbye, John, goodbye. Where everybody knows your name. <laughs> <laughs> White this, Plains, New York. They gave me this watch. We have and commemorative pen. And I shall put it on my grave. <laughs> <laughs> we have to go. We have to get out of here. Um, <laughs> in fact, that's the way to end it. No, 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 no. We gotta, we gotta uh, fucking leave. No, I'll, 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 I'll help. I'll help here, folks. You could listen to Catherine Dunn's show, Dunn's Son, every Saturday at three p.m. here on Radio Free Brooklyn, and you can also listen to her and Faceboy doing Art Star Scene Radio on Saturdays as well at seven p.m. Jimmy can be found hosting Tilt Bar's open mic here in Bushwick at 248 McKibben Street every Monday from 9 to 12. Our special guest today, Will Hasty, will be coming out with a TV pilot called Polarity, uh, and that is uh, sci-fi related. And if you would like to learn more information, uh, they can follow you on social media? Yes, yes, yes. There will be the website polarity.com, okay. polaritythefilm.com, which we're going to change to polaritythetvshow.com as well as a Kickstarter campaign because one of my producers thinks that if we can raise the money uh, or if we can raise an extra 15 grand, why would I blow what we've put aside for it? So I'm like, well, and I was like, why do it during the rehearsals? And his whole line was, well, you can sell access to the rehearsals and shout outs from the set and all that sort of thing. He's absolutely right. So yeah. Hey, forget about it. Forget about it. <laughs> Instagram people can Instagram find at Will Hasty. Will, thanks so much for being here. On of course, this dude. I love this. Yeah. Catherine, thanks so much for introducing me to Will. Uh, why not? You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> thanks thanks for being you. I pimp him out to everything. You. Thanks for making it to half of our I show. I just ran yeah. your show last night for now. What do you want from me? A lot. Thanks so much for again for listening. We are Lost and Rewound. I'm Alon. I'm Jimmy. Hope you enjoy your Thursday afternoon. Yeah, tune in next Thursday. For another edition of Same Time, Same Bat Channel. 3 p.m. Eastern here on Radio Free Brooklyn. Radio Free. Lost and Rewound. Brooklyn. 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 Are smoking a joint in a you know in a circle, and <laughs> just to across the other circle and, with and, you. <laughs> Bilbo Baggins is a little bit shy, so he's you know smoking this joint, and then like one, an orc comes in and wants to take it from him, and and then Gandalf looks at Bilbo Baggins because Bilbo Baggins is nervous. He's like, "What do I do?" Gandalf just says, "You shall not pass." <laughs> <laughs> oh That's actually not bad. Oh, I, really good. I did not see that coming. That was good. Yeah, yeah I was, was like, good. I was like, all of this terribly slow buildup. <laughs> <laughs> that is why Jimmy is the comedic relief. Is, that is why he is the comedic relief. <laughs>